Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. There's a lot to learn when you're just starting out in the working world. There's more than just showing up on time and leaving at the end of the day. You have to figure out workplace culture, connect with others in your field, and you have to consider any old social media posts that might come back to haunt you. Coming up this hour, we're going to get guidance for those just starting out in their career or someone who's looking to make a career change. We've got expert advice coming up right after the news. National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Wild rice is in decline, so some members of the Lac de Flambeau Ojibwe in Wisconsin are turning toward another traditional crop for sustenance, flint corn. WXPR's Aaron Gottsacker visited the Golden Eagle Farm, where a community corn garden is in the works. Flint corn, also known as calico corn or Indian corn, has multicolored kernels of deep purple, red, and gold. It's the type of corn cultivated by American Indian people hundreds of years ago to make hominy. In Lac de Flambeau, the Ojibwe tribe used flint corn to supplement a diet of wild rice and venison. If you went back 150, 200 years, um, our people didn't have pantries, but they had birch bark baskets. And in these birch bark baskets, in their food caches, there was both corn and wild rice. Greg Johnson is a Lacta Flambeau tribal member, cultural teacher, and artist. He says few tribal members still grow flint corn and make their own hominy, but with climate change disrupting wild rice growth, he's trying to bring the staple back. Wild rice is in decline, and so I just thought back, you know, like back to the beginning, you know, what did our people do? This is probably what they would have done. They would have done the same thing. They would have had a, a garden that was just for everybody, everybody to share a part of. And so uh, that's all we're trying to do. We're not trying to sell it. We're not trying to do anything other than provide food for our families and, and you know, maybe in, in some sense replace that wild rice that's been sustaining us forever. Johnson and a dozen tribal members planted more than 40 rows of flint corn at the tribe's Golden Eagle Farm. When the corn is harvested in the fall, it'll be braided and hung up over the winter, then boiled with maple ash in the spring to enrich the corn and turn it into hominy. It's a practice that dates back centuries, but one Johnson hopes can help tribal members deal with the more recent challenge of climate change. I'm Erin Gottsacker in Lacta Flambeau. Native cast of the new television series Dark Wind say the show is providing an opportunity to showcase more Native talent both on camera and behind the scenes. The drama follows tribal police on Navajo land in the 1970s, based on books by the late non-Native author Tony Hillerman. Zahn McLarnon, lead actor, says Native people adapted this latest TV version of Hillerman's work from a Native lens, controlling the narrative. We put together quite a team of Native writers, uh, Native producers, Native directors, and Native crew, uh, and Native consultants. So we we're kind of telling Tony Hillerman's stories through a different perspective. I think it's a great step towards seeing natives uh, in their experience uh, as, as normal, uh, allowing the public and the, the, uh, the audiences to, to, uh, to, to see that the native culture is American culture. 
It is American history. Fellow actor Jessica Madden agrees and points to Reservation Dogs and Rutherford Falls as other productions with Native representation. We've kicked down the door, so now I feel that there's inevitably this responsibility to make sure those doors stay open, that this isn't just a trend in a moment in time, but that we actually, through the exposure that we're getting now, we're able to humanize Native people in a, in a global way. You know, we still are a very small population in comparison to a lot of other cultures who get more exposure, um, whether that's in cinema or television or, you know, in any other facet. The show had two Navajo cultural consultants used a Native-owned studio and filmed on Pueblo lands in New Mexico. The series premieres on AMC June 12th. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Do you remember your first job? I remember mine. Cashiering at a small family-owned sporting goods store. Eh, it was an okay gig for a high school kid. Whether you're starting work as a retail employee, a restaurant server, a bank teller, or a registered nurse, there are some basic rules that can help you be successful. Of course, there are the simple ones, like being on time, dressing appropriately, and meeting deadlines. But there are other important concepts to help you excel from the moment you step onto your career path. This year, for the first time, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics started breaking out data for Native employment, and the numbers are troubling. Unfortunately, the unemployment rate for Native workers is always higher than the rest of the population. However, we're now also learning that Native people are recovering from the pandemic job loss at a much slower rate than everyone else. Job readiness isn't the only factor, but it can help improve the statistics. Please join today's conversation. If you want career advice, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. If you have career advice to offer, we want your input there too. The number again, 1-800-996-2848 or 1-800-99-NATIVE. Speaking with us today from Phoenix, Arizona is Rafael Tapia. He is the Vice President of Programs at Partnership with Native Americans. He's a member of the Pascua Yaqui Tribe. Rafael, welcome back to Native America Calling. Thank you. Very excited to be here. Well, Raphael, tell our listeners, what do you remember about your first job? You know, I started my career early in uh, the agriculture industry. I was eight years old, and I was out there in the cotton fields picking cotton with my family. And these were fields out in uh, Pinal County. And so these are the ancestral lands of the autumn uh, people. So that's... that's uh, that's a ways back for me. 
Wow. Eight years old out there in the cotton fields. I bet you learned a lot of valuable life lessons working that young. I can only imagine. So Raphael, so often we hear this term career ready. And can you explain exactly what that means? Well, what we think uh, when we look at the <clears throat> opportunities that are available uh, to our uh, native youth is what I'm going to focus on is uh, there their skills that we need to have to compete for jobs in today's marketplace. And so some of those skills are uh, in this day and age uh, related to uh, the education background we have, what we know. Uh, some of that is uh, some of the basics, mathematics, reading. And the other is some of the new needs that present themselves, which is in the area of technology. Uh, and then there, there's the soft skills, the get, getting uh, ready and being on time uh, to work, uh, our communication with our colleagues, uh, the employees at work, uh, our supervisors. So career readiness means being able to have those skills to compete in the marketplace and then perform once we get those jobs. Okay, so it sounds like a wide range of skills, both the soft skills you mentioned, just the punctuality and other aspects of being a good a good employee, a good worker, and then having the education, having those technical skills, as well as access to technology in some place. So uh, really, really good information, Raphael. And, and tell us more about the career readiness programs offered by Partnership with Native Americans. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to uh you know, just share very exciting news. We in, uh, were contacted in, in September of last year by uh, Google, the Grow With Google, which is a virtual platform that provides digital skills. And so uh, really quickly, we uh, aligned, that aligned with our American Indian Education Fund uh, initiatives, which is our scholarship program. And we have a number of of opportunities there for undergraduate, graduate, but we also uh, have funded vocational trade scholarship uh, applicants to pursue uh, careers in the trades. And so we were looking to expand our vocational trade trade and career readiness opportunity, and this uh, couldn't have come at a better time. You know, I think uh, Grow With Google, which helps to provide free training and expertise and, and a lot of it is focused on digital skills. Uh, this opportunity is in, uh, going, going to go, go through 2025. Our focus is to train uh, 10,000 uh, Native students between uh, high school and college and uh, provide them with additional skills, not only to perform well in school, but then to prepare for the workforce. So there's a professional development uh, opportunity here that goes along uh, with the opportunity we have with Grow With Google. It's a curriculum, it's virtual, it can be accessed from anywhere. Uh, some of the other resources that we are very excited to have as part of this partnership is an investment in the institutions that are working with our Native American students to support them to increase their skills and be ready for the workforce. So uh, we have some funds that are available to what we're calling uh, NSOs, our NSO partners, which is Native Serving Organization Partners, and they've been brought into the plan and are working with us. We have uh, uh, starting, uh, started with uh, some vocational trade schools, uh, some organizations that are focused on career development and career readiness, focused on youth 
and, and the agents that we're targeting. And so we've incorporated partnerships that are uh, strategic partnerships that are going to help make this happen. So we're very excited about not only uh, being able to provide the virtual platform, uh, the skills training, uh, but we're also supporting our NSO, our Native Serving Organization partners uh, through grants to align this platform into their curriculum and, and, and provide that to the students. In addition, we have a vocational trade scholarship specifically uh, for our Native students that we have now uh, invested uh, the funding that uh, we've, we've received through this partnership uh, to increase our, our funding for students. So that it's it's really um, you know uh, uh, expanding on some of the work we've been doing in the area of of career readiness. Um, you know we've been through our marketing and scholarship fund uh, op opportunity. We've had a mentorship program where it's all about professional development. As soon as the youth hits college, we partner uh, pair them up with the mentor. Uh, our collaborating partner is PepsiCo Rise, which is an employee resource group under uh, PepsiCo Corporation. And uh, these are Native mentors working for the corporation. And we partner them, them up with our students, specifically freshmen and, and graduate students. So we want to see what the impact is at the front end as students start their education, uh, college career, and then as they're exiting, going back into the workforce. And so the idea is to get them prepared and ready um, to compete in school, and then once they transition into uh, the workforce. Well, Rafael, you just described a, a lot of different exciting programs and, and to meet a lot of needs. I, I like this uh, these trade scholarships and uh, especially this Grow with Google program sounds really exciting. And as I understand it, you'll be partnering with a, a wide range of high schools and colleges, tribal colleges as well, and to make that program a success. And is there a possibility that some of these students could actually get internships there at Google? You know, those are the those are the opportunities we're exploring as part of this this uh, process. Um, we're very excited about those, uh, you know, next steps, and those would be not only internships at Google, but other uh, other partners that we're uh, we're uh, engaging as part of this process. And so, uh, those definitely would be included in in what we're looking at for the students that are going through this process of getting trained and then getting those experiences. That's the reason we're partnering with the workforce development uh, uh, um, uh, sector, uh, because obviously these line up. Uh, workforce development is a you know, very key resource in our tribal communities that helps our uh, not only our, our youth, but our adults uh, put them in this pathway for career uh, readiness and career success. So we're definitely going to be looking at internships uh, and and how we can leverage the learning and then the hands-on experience that these youth can uh, take forward into their future. Yeah, it, it sounds really, really promising. And uh, I would imagine that uh, any opportunity to be associated with a company as high profile as Google would just be a fantastic, fantastic opportunity for, for young Native students and, and career professionals. We have a caller already on the line, Jessica. She's listening in San Bernardino, California. Jessica, thanks for calling the show today. Hi, good morning. I'm joining you from Serrano territory also. <laughs> 
Awesome, Jessica. Well, well, tell us what uh, what what your interests are. Are you, are you out looking for a job? Or are you entering the career force? So um, I'm glad that my um, I saw a member of the Pascoyakis tribes talking. My mother's a member there. Um, my family crossed over to Turtle Island on October 2nd, 1919, to work for the Arizona Cotton Growers Association in Tempe, Arizona. Um, so I'm a doc- finishing up my doctoral program in uh, public health, health policy and leadership, and um, I recently graduated with my master's in MBA in 2019. I've had trouble really landing a job that used any of my degrees and to gain any skills. And I've attended lots of events, networked, emailed my local tribes, my current tribe, you know, um, everyone I can get a hold of saying, hey, I want to help my indigenous community, um, you know, and um, everyone's like, oh, wow, that's great, you know, but there's no there's no mentorship opportunities. I feel like a lot of us, at least the higher levels, are kind of left on our own, and um, it's it's been a very difficult journey. It's just been, I worked really hard, honors, 4.0 GPA, 3.9 doctorate GPA, like, um, but mm-hmm. the people keep saying, you lack the skills, you lack the experience. Even jobs that say, oh, if you're near the end of your degree, you know, within a year from getting your degree, we'll give you a job. And I mean, getting rejected for those things, you still lack experience. And so I'm having trouble kind of um, getting the experience I need to get a good job and get with my degrees. My parents were both come from very humble backgrounds. And um, uh-huh. so it's been okay. difficult. Uh, I don't have okay. the access to the network that a lot of my classmates did. Okay. And Jessica, uh, thank you for calling in and I really appreciate uh, and congratulations on your doctorate. And we'll get some, some recommendations for you right after this break that we have to take. You're listening to Native America Calling. We'll be right back. This month, the people from the Pacific Island nation of Samoa are marking 60 years of independence. They struggled under colonial rule from invading nations for 300 years before finding their own governing voice. We'll get the history and insights on Samoan independence on the next Native America Calling. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Strongheart's Native Helpline is a no-charge, 24-7, confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans. Help is available by calling 1-844-7-NATIVE or by clicking on the chat icon on strongheartshelpline.org. This program is supported by Strongheart's Native Helpline. You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. What do you remember about your first job? Or if you're looking for a job now, what are you most worried about? We're hearing about ways to prepare yourself for the working world, whether you're heading down a career path or just trying to make the rent. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We're speaking right now with Rafael Tapia, and he is with the partnership with Native Americans. And Raphael, we just heard a caller, Jessica, and she shares your tribal lineage. She's there in California. And, you know, I hear this a lot from people coming out of school and, and they're really excited. They've done great. You know, Jessica shared she's graduated. She got a doctorate with honors, did really, really well. But now it's time for her to get out there 
and enter the workforce and she, she's struggling. She, people are telling her she doesn't have the skills, she doesn't have the work experience. Uh, what's your advice? Where does somebody like that get started? How do they get that key experience to, to get their foot in the door? Well, I, I appreciate Jessica calling in and breaking up the, bringing up this this area of workforce development and, and career planning and then entering the workforce. Uh, first of all, I wish her well on her next journey. And uh, some of the things that we do is, uh, as we, while we're not in the uh, finding jobs for people section, the networking is very critical. Uh, she mentioned that her colleagues have an extensive network. So what we encourage folks to do is to tap their their existing network. Uh, we also are a resource at times because we are connected with organizations that are looking for employees. So while we might not be able to hire him, somebody else might. So it's really it's really building that network. Um, some of the things we talked about earlier is that while you're going to school is to get these uh, key experiences, and uh, those can really be a factor in the resume that you had these hands-on experiences. Uh, I'm sure there's uh, an opportunity that Jessica took a, a advantage of where she did an internship or a practicum in order to get to where she's at. And I think those are things that, uh, depending on how they're translating into the resume and how they're being communicated, uh, could make a difference to individuals. But there are some some, some challenges. So, you know, I, I fall back on, on making sure we're leveraging the networks that we have. And also, uh, I'm not sure, you know, if, if, uh, if Je Jessica's open, uh, and I know she's located in California, but... Uh, you know, uh, our tribal communities are always looking for professionals that are coming out of school to hire them, native professionals. So, uh, again, it's really taking a look at what, what uh, the openings, opportunities are. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest ones that I uh, focus and direct folks to is that networking. Okay, networking is key. And Jessica, I think you're still on the line. And, and Raphael suggested reaching out to to tribal programs, tribal governments. And I know there's plenty of plenty of Native nations based there all over California. Have you had any success contacting tribes directly with your skill set? I I have. Um, it's the same feedback loop, though. They're like, "Wow, you have an MBA. Wow, you have a doctorate. What experience do you have?" So you have too much experience to start entry level. Or you have too much degrees, sorry, to start entry level, but um, you don't have enough experience to really start in the middle either. So it's it's a feedback loop. I'm caught in the feedback loop. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for sharing. We've got another guest on the line. Maybe he can offer some insights as well. Joining us now from Muskogee, Oklahoma, is Dr. Corey Still. He's the Vice President of Academic Affairs at Baycone College. He's also a citizen of the United Katua Band of Cherokee Indians. Corey, you've been on the show before. Welcome back. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be back on the show. Absolutely, Corey. And, and you're here listening to Jessica, and she's uh, voicing some some frustration. She's having a tough time. Can we, you know, just she's finished her got a, got a degree, a doctorate, and, and now she's struggling a little bit. It doesn't look like she's getting a lot of feedback from from tribal jobs. So, uh, Raphael mentioned the importance of networking. What else can you offer, Jessica? So first and foremost, Jessica, congratulations. Um, receiving that terminal degree in and of itself is a monumental accomplishment. Um, and so, I, I mean, I, I know exactly how you feel when I came out of my uh, PhD. It was like, what am I going to do next? Um, because you do run into that barrier of, oh, well, 
you're you're overqualified for some of these positions. Um, but I think one of the things that was said was networking. Um, for me, <clears throat> I think one of the biggest things that, especially in Native communities, that we overlook because it's something that we automatically do and we, we sometimes take it for granted is uh, relationship building. And when we talk about networking, it's really talking about creating um, these meaningful relationships between uh, just be- between colleagues, between people, between companies, um, and that really that really opens up to what you can do and where you can go. Um, one of the things that you know, I, I work with students a lot. One of the things I tell students is, regardless of what we're doing, um, we're giving back to our tribes, and and there are multiple ways that we can give back to our tribal communities. I know that was a big struggle for me because when I came out of my PhD, I, I knew there weren't many positions um, that I could apply for within my tribe. And so that direct reciprocity or that direct give back to my tribe wasn't necessarily going to be a reality for me. Um, and it was really hard for me to kind of shift my thinking from, okay, how do I directly give back to understanding, hey, you know, um, I can go work for a university or a nonprofit um, or even a for-profit company that works with Native communities, or I can create space in those work areas to work for Native communities, and I'm still giving back because I'm still a representative of my people. I'm still a representative of my communities, my family, my clan, um, and I'm able to be out there to say, no, listen, uh, at least from my perspective, you know, Katu has come in all shapes, sizes, and degrees. And we are out here not only within our communities, but within the workforce representing our communities. And for me, that kind of helped me shift my, my mentality to understand, okay, um, yeah, even though I might not be directly working for my tribe, um, I'm still doing things that benefit my tribe. I'm still mm-hmm. out here uh, giving back to my tribe, being able to right. be like, hey, you know, um, I'm doing this. I can go back and talk to our younger generations of students and say, listen, you all can do this too. Like if I was able to make it to this degree, you all can and providing right. ways to give back that way. Yeah. And Corey, I really like the way you express that because I, I think there are, you know, as, as native people were so underrepresented in so many areas of the workplace at, at universities, such as where you're at in the for-profit sector and the non-profit sector. So just any native person that's out there working hard and, and has a, a job that, that has any kind of influence, I just think that's a win for Indian country in general, even if they're not working directly for their tribe, as, as you say. And Corey, what about conferences? And, and again, going back to Jessica's issue, um, are those good places to network and learn from other career professionals? Most definitely. Um, you know, I've, I've Actually, just before the show, as we were kind of talking, we were talking about the Reservation Economic um, Summit that many of us attended uh, about two and a half, three weeks ago. And if, if you have the ability to attend conferences, um, even local conferences, local, regional, national conferences, there is so much networking that goes on. There, there's so much good professional development things that you can receive from the workshop. But the level of networking and career advancement that you can receive just by going around and talking to people and introducing yourself to people, um, those, those connections can add up. I mean, those, <clears throat> those connections, those relationships, as they build up, as you meet people, you never know who you're going to talk to. 
Um, you never know who you're going to take an elevator with. You never know who you're going to sit down at a reception with. You never know who you're going to sit next to in um, a workshop with. And just being able to uh, really com- kind of compact your own elevator speech. You know, who are you? What do you do? Um, what What is your specialty? What are your skill sets? What is your research? You know, what is your area of expertise? And being able to talk to that and creating those connections um, can really help propel you into your to a career or to another job um, or into a, a higher position that you wouldn't even thought of. So there's been many times where I've talked with people um, and, you know, I've, I've, I've worked with students or I talk with people about my own professional journey and they're like, yeah, have you ever thought of this? And it's a pathway I would have never thought of myself, but it's a pathway that once we kind of talk through it, it makes perfect sense. And mm-hmm. so uh, it, it might not just be, you know, you're, you're going in and getting a job. It's you're going in, you're getting different perspectives of what your pathway can take you or where your pathway can take you. So conferences, Corey, I think, is a wonderful place. Okay. And, and Corey, you mentioned elevator speeches. So this is like kind of a quick down and dirty. You've got 30 seconds with somebody. You're just kind of passing by and you've just got a limited amount of time, but you need to make an impact, right? So this does, this isn't like a life history. It's not pull out the resume and, and, and just talk nonstop. You just got to make it short and sweet and to the point. Any, any tips or advice for how to make a really impactful elevator speech? Um, I, I think really it's, Bringing it down, you know, you've got 20 to 30 seconds to tell someone who you are. And I know for Native people that can be a little hard sometimes because that's hard for me. Um, it's hard for me because, like, when, when we ask that question, who are you, They're so that's, that's a loaded question in my opinion. I'm a lot of things. Um, but within these elevator speeches, you really have to really bring it down to what is your core values, what do you represent, um, what is the work that you do. And then being able to, within that 20 and 30 seconds, also say, hey, if you want to continue this conversation, here's my business card. Um, okay. Or here's how you can contact me. I, you, when I go to conferences, um, I stock up on my business cards. I stock up on everything. I keep business cards on me at all times, whether I'm uh, officially at the conference or I'm at dinner or I'm at breakfast. I keep business cards on me all the time because, again, you never know who you're going to meet. So I think it's a successful a successful. Um, Elevator speech is going to talk about who you are, what you do, and how they can continue this conversation. Okay, who you are, what you do, how you can continue the conversation. And I I think, Corey, in many ways, elevator speeches and job interviews and things like that, there's a sales component to it, right? It's, It's really about selling yourself to an organization or to a prospective client or or somebody that, you know, could help you, a mentor, somebody who could kind of help you get to that next stage. And and I think sometimes as Native people, we're kind of taught to to be a little bit more reserved, you know, not not show off necessarily or brag, but, but it's important, right? There's kind of a fine line between like being boastful or talking too much and then not talking enough and being too modest, right? So how do we balance that? So, like, for me, one of the things that I do is, is my work goes to supporting Native students in higher ed, whether it's I'm working for a nonprofit, I'm working for a for-profit, I'm working for an institution of higher learning. Um, that's the forefront of my work is working for Native students. And so that's where I center my talk around. Uh, when, I, when I give my elevator speech, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, hey, 
this is this is what I do for Native students. This is how I support Native students. How do you support Native students? How can we work together to better support Native students? If you want to continue this conversation, you know, here's my card. I'd love to talk about ways that we can maybe create internships for these Native students, or maybe we can work together to create scholarships for these Native students, or create new programming for these Native students. So I'm still, um, in a way, I'm still able to get my level of expertise, my knowledge, and what I do to him while still centering the work and the people that I work for. Okay. And Corey, one challenge I do find with conferences is they are often not cheap to attend, especially when flights and hotels are involved. So any advice for someone who needs to network, but they're on a budget? So what a lot of people don't know is many conferences um, will offer some type of uh, discounted registration if you agree to volunteer um, or if some of them will offer scholarships to their conferences. If you are someone who needs financial assistance or scholarship help, for instance, those that are just coming out of their programs or those that are still in their programs, um, there's a lot of different ways that people can connect with conferences. And so one of the things that I would tell people is if there's a conference that you really want to go to and, um, you know, the, the financial cost might be a little high, um, contact that conference coordinator and contact, contact someone from the conference like, hey, if I'm willing to volunteer, um, would I be able to receive a reduced discount? Um, you know, uh, being able to room with people you know that might be going. There's been many times, especially in my graduate degrees, um, where me and some of my fellow graduate students were like, okay, we're going to this conference and we're all bunking up four to a room to help save on money. Um, you know, there are, there are ways out there that, that you can cut costs to be able to be there. And um, like I said, for me, I never knew about the volunteer opportunities or things like that until uh, there was one conference where one of my mentors was like, hey, we're going to call this person. If you agree to volunteer for like 10 hours during the conference, uh, whether that's helping registration, stuffing bags, giving out shirts, um, you know, they're going to cut your registration fee and by 50%. That's good and, advice. Yeah. Yeah. And that, for that sure. saved me, that saved me a lot of money right there. Right. Right. And I know sometimes, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, like a lot of times they have a bunch of rooms reserved, like the conference organizers, and sometimes those go unclaimed. They have extra rooms and you could just, you know, if you're in the right place at the right time, you could claim one of those rooms and they'll just comp you with it, which, which could be really helpful too. And Corey, uh, several times you've mentioned mentoring, uh, during your, your talk today here. And, have you had some really important mentors in your own career? Oh yeah, um, I've I've had some very monumental mentors. Uh, one that comes to mind is Dr. Heather Shotton. Um, you know, she she was my go-to mentor in, for my undergrad and graduate programs. Um, she's kind of the one who kind of taught me how to network, how to kind of leverage myself. Um, taught me how you know how to present myself, not in a bragging way, but in a humbled way. Um, mm. And I, I, I can't, if, if you can find someone within your professional or even your personal uh, life that you can go to and talk to and talk through these things with, um, that, that, is beyond, that is beyond any type of value that you can place on it. Because yeah. those are the people who, to bat for you. Those are the people that are going to go um, and help you and listen to you and provide advice and be real with you. <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> there's many times that we've had, we've had, 
just the come to mentor talk where she's like, okay, no, this is how it's going to go. Um, and now that I'm in going into my professional career and I have, I'm creating these mentoring relationships with new students and new scholars. Um, I, I understand, understand and see that generational mentorship that occurs, especially within Indian communities, Indian country. There's this mm-hmm. idea, um, it, it becomes men- mentorship, almost like mentorship through family, um, okay. because you you're creating these bonds and you're creating this relationship um, that truly is, you know, almost like this intergenerational piece. Yeah, yeah. I, I think when a mentorship works, it's it's just it's like magic when that relationship just just forms. And and Corey, one concept, and I've talked about this on our show before, is the idea of a first generation career professional. And we hear so much about challenges facing Native people who are the first in their family to attend college. But what about people who are the first in their family to have a professional career? So when we come back from a break, I'd like you to talk about that a little bit and share what some of the unique challenges first-generation career professional Native people face. Listeners, if you'd like to call in, with a question or a comment, again, career advice. It's free on Native America Calling today, 1-800-996-2848. We're back right after this short break. Mesa Lands Community College can help you lead the way in your chosen field. At Mesa Lands, where one in three students is Native American, you get hands-on opportunities working one-on-one with instructors in wind energy, where students go up the turbine in their first semester, silversmithing with access to the largest foundry in the Southwest, and blacksmithing in the cowboy arts. Mesa Lands has a national top 10 rodeo team, too. Info and applications at mesalands.edu. Mesa Lands Community College supports this program. Thanks for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. How do you know you're living up to expectations at your workplace? How do you think jobs and work have changed over the years? We're talking about ways to help you be successful in the workforce. And you can join our conversation by calling in 1-800-996-2848, 1-800-996-2848. We are speaking with Dr. Corey Still at Baycone College in Muskogee, Oklahoma. And Corey, before we went to break, I I posed this question of first-generation Native career professionals and challenges that they face. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I I think, you know, in a lot of ways, it's very similar to first-generation college students Um, because many times first-generational professional um, career professionals don't really have access to the social um, or cultural capital within the area that they're going into to be able to say, hey, you know, um, I have a family member who came from this field or who came from this profession um, to be able to kind of guide me or bring me into these already pre-established networks. Um, I know, again, I I always go back to my own story. As I began my professional career, it was really difficult for me to try to enter into some of these networks because I didn't have someone there or I didn't have someone – that was already within these networks, or I didn't have the family name that brought me into it. Um, but for those that are going in, it, it, it can seem tough at times. It can seem overwhelming, but it's really about knowing that you do belong there. You know, there's this notion called imposter syndrome um, that we, we talk about amongst students, but it's very much alive and well amongst professional and career people as well. This idea that um, we see ourselves and sometimes we don't think that we – uh, are good enough or that we belong in these spaces, but we have to come to understand that we do. 
Like we are, we are just as good and we belong in just as many of these spaces as anyone else. And yeah. once we come to understand that imposter syndrome, no, no, we've, we've been trained for our professions. We've been trained for our careers. We've been trained um, in how to do these things. And now it's just getting ourselves into that, into that space and um, learning to thrive in that space once more. It's something we've already did when we started college, when we went through, um, whether it be Votech college or any type of higher learning, we started that process before by creating that space for us. And it's restarting that process again as we get into our professional careers. Well, Corey, thank you for all that great information. Always a pleasure to have you on the show, as well as Raphael with his great info too. And, and we've got a third guest joining us now from Denver, Colorado, David Bledsoe. He's the Senior Manager of Student Success Engagement and Communications for the American Indian College Fund. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. Well, David, you know my first question. Let's hear it. Tell us about that first job. <laughs> uh, I think it's what a lot of students are doing uh, uh, this summer, which is mowing lawns. <laughs> uh, being... Being a, being a young entrepreneur, getting out there uh, with that mower and, and going door to door uh, and, and kind of drumming up business because, you know, it, just with uh, professionals uh, today who are looking for opportunities, sometimes the best opportunities are going to be ones that you, that you create for yourself. So that, that was how I got started. That's that's really cool and and yeah that's a that's a good little side gig for for a young kid I know and I just the other day uh, a high school kid put a flyer on my front door advertising lawn mowing this summer so glad to hear you got initiated there cutting grass and David let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about uh, some of these soft skills like Raphael mentioned earlier and dressing dressing for success and I, I know times have really changed and, and we're not seeing as many suits and ties and other types of formal attire in workplaces so what is appropriate work attire now well it really is dependent upon uh, the business or the field that you're going into uh, and a lot of that is determined by the culture of that specific organization, that industry, that field. If you're going into finance or business, um, uh, it's going to be more suit and tie. Uh, a lot of organizations, even you know some of the big you know Fortune 100 companies and stuff like that, are are looking at more casual options. Um, and uh, one of the things that, that we try to do with our students is to kind of give them guidance also on how to. Uh, share their own culture through their dress, uh, but to do that in professional ways. And uh, one of the resources we provide is a career pathways guidebook uh, that provides a lot of very culturally relevant advice uh, and specific examples, including dress. You know, do you do you wear beadwork? Do you wear you know ribbon shirts or or ribbon skirts or something of that nature? What are the ways that you can kind of express yourself, your your specific you know cultural background and history uh, through your workplace and what's going to make you feel comfortable and powerful, you know, when you're stepping into a workplace. Okay, good advice. And David, we have a, a caller. They don't want to actually talk on the air, but they are interested in learning more about scholarship opportunities. So could you talk a little bit about the American Indian College Fund and specifically scholarship opportunities available? Sure. So the American Indian College Fund, we've been providing uh, scholarship opportunities for Native students for over 30 years. Um, uh, I, I know uh, uh, 
Dr. Corey Still just came from the scholarship world as, as well, too. And there are a lot of different organizations in addition to the American Indian College Fund that can support you with your education and career pathways. Now, I don't want you to think specifically about, you know, that, that kind of high school student, because that's the traditional student. There are a lot of high school students that are, you know, have a specific idea for what they want to study, a career path that they want to find. Uh, we provide a lot of support in that space, and we also provide additional supports through events, through uh, guidebooks and things of that nature that help you to make those decisions. But the large number of students that we that we are supporting too are non-traditional students. Those are those who have come back to education. Uh, they want to get additional career training. They want to seek uh, a different uh, different career or a different industry that they want to serve in. And they're coming back to us. You know, they have families, they have work experience, and things of that nature. And it's never too late to, you know, decide that you want to go in a specific direction to train yourself. And the College Fund, as well as a lot of other organizations, can provide you support. Uh, and it can be a lot of different areas, too. You think of the traditional scholarship support of, you know, I'm going to get a bachelor's degree at this institution. But we provide, you know, professional development grants. We provide, you know, just like uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Corey still talked about, you know, going to conferences. Sometimes we provide uh, additional scholarships or support to help people go to those uh, experiences to kind of build upon their 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 uh, you know their career path and what they're doing. So it's not just limited to you know following that traditional career path. There's so many different opportunities, but there are a lot of different organizations. Not only the, the big national organizations like us, like the American Indian College Fund, but also within your tribe, within larger um, uh, uh, Native associations, a lot of them offer uh, scholarships specifically to help you maybe within a specific career field. Okay. And David, there for the College Fund, where's the, the first place to start looking for scholarships? Would you go to the, to the website? Yeah, our website is collegefund.org. Uh, we actually just wrapped up our application for the upcoming fall, um, but our application is open throughout the year. And you can also find a lot of those additional resources that can kind of help you to decide, you know, what direction do you want to go in? What are the things that you need to consider? Um, are there, you know, relationships that you need to build to get reference letters? Are there things that you need to do? We have a lot of those additional resources in the student section of our website. And I would encourage you to kind of look at those. We also offer a lot of virtual and online events that help you prepare for not only college, but career opportunities, how to do interviews, if you want to go to grad school, things of that nature. And almost all of those events are free, uh, free of charge. In fact, we have one coming up uh, in a couple of weeks on June 21st that specifically is going to talk to both high school and first year and transfer students about what are the things that that you can do to be successful, but then also how do you find your own path? That's that's one of the most important questions that students, uh, whether they're traditional or older, need to ask themselves. Because if you just have a Western idea of you know what success is going to be in career or what you're going to do, you're probably never going to be happy. You need to think about what your priorities are in your life. Do you want to, you know, if the biggest priority you have is going back to your tribe and serving, then you need to set your career path uh, and your education path to kind of meet those different needs. But there's like, uh, like some of our other panelists have said, 
there's lots of different paths that you can take, lots of ways that you can give back that aren't necessarily in that same space. So getting guidance and, and really thinking about, you know, what you want your ultimate goals to be, that's really important at the, at the, the, the kind of beginning. Okay. And David, you mentioned these virtual events, and I, I'm glad you did because we've seen this huge increase, right, in remote work during the pandemic. And, and for quite a few people, working remotely is now either permanent or they've got some kind of remote, in-person, hybrid job of some sort. And what are your thoughts about uh, preparing people now coming into the workforce? Uh, in, in, in all likelihood, it's possible that they'll have a job where they'll never actually work in person with their coworkers, clients, customers. How do folks prepare for that? Yeah, it is a very different world than we were, you know, uh, before the pandemic, things have opened up. Uh, and while there's a lot of preparation, I think that, that most people have uh, at least gotten used to either if they're a student or if they're in the working world now, you know, taking classes or doing work online, connecting with people, even using your phones for FaceTime. You, you think about the ways that we connect with relatives and friends and things of that nature. It's, it's just becoming more mainstream. However, I will say that that is opening up so many more opportunities for job seekers. Um, even within the college fund, we have a, a very large staff that keeps increasing in size, and we have a lot of workers who do not work in Denver here with us. Uh, they're, they're all over Indian country. They're serving in specific roles. Some of those are more connected. Uh, and some of them do require, you know, people to come into the office, you know, maybe a couple of times a year or something of that nature. But you kind of learn what those um, set expectations are for a specific role, uh, how they want you to connect. And as long as you feel like that's something that, you know, you can thrive in uh, an environment, uh, there's no reason not to consider some of those because there are jobs opening across the country and, you know, if there's an opportunity in New York and it's a remote-only opportunity, there's no reason you can't seek that out um, simply because uh, of the capabilities that we have with, you know, Internet and connectedness. So mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't say that there's, there's going to be any roles going forward that are not going to have some aspect of that. Even if you have to go into an office, probably in your roles, you'll be connecting with people, you know, through those online platforms. Okay. And David, resumes. Okay. I, and I hear different, I hear some people say, oh, resumes, that's like so last millennial, last millennium, excuse me. They're not really relevant anymore. Employers are looking for more, you know, kind of more tech friendly ways to, to learn about prospective employees. What's your thought? Are, are resumes, is it still important to have a good written resume? And if so, what should it include? What should it look like? Absolutely. It's, it's always important to have that kind of standard documentation. Um, and, you know, through some of those resources that we provide, we walk students through what are the different pieces you need. Of course, there's going to be your education, your experiences. However, they have changed quite a bit. And this is, goes back to what I was speaking about before, about what your specific goals are. A lot of times they're going to have a summary section at the top where you kind of summarize what your experience has been, not just listing things, uh, but saying, you know, you know, I'm a communications professional with, you know, 20 years of experience and I've served, you know, working for nonprofits or things of that nature. We are actually kind of doing a little bit of storytelling, uh, kind of in the, the intro part of your resume. Uh, a lot of times, too, you're also breaking out specific skills that you have 
just uh, as bullets, you know, at, at the beginning of those things, just so that with a, a cursory glance, you know, those who are reviewing those documents can go, oh, okay, they have experience with, you know, this software package or with working with this type of client. Uh, those types of things, being able to call those out quickly and set yourself apart are very important. But okay. there's always going to be those, those spaces for those traditional things, you know, your education listings, your work experience. I will say that especially, you know, just like Jessica at the beginning, um, you know, when you don't have that work experience, you need to do, you need to be creative. You need to think about those things that you weren't paid to do uh, during your education experience, things that you did, you know, like through a practicum or an internship and how you can transform that into the experience that's going to help you to kind of get your foot into the door. Okay. And David, we are going to have to wrap up the show here in about another minute, but I'm going to go ahead and give you the last word. And I want to ask you uh, if you could sum this up in about 60 seconds, social media, we hear horror stories about people putting stuff on Facebook and it comes back to haunt them later by an employer or something like that. How do we use social media responsibly if we're thinking about our careers? Yeah, you, you really need to think about anything that you're doing online, especially in public forums or spaces and what that's going to look like down the road. Um, even if you're a, a teenager or someone of that nature, you need to think about what you're putting out there and the ways that you communicate because our digital footprint, uh, it doesn't just disappear like, you know, and maybe past generations did when, you know, they were speaking or letter writing or things of that nature. So it's very important to think about those things, even if they are personal pages or, or platforms that you have those things can come up in the past. So it's always good to moderate you know, the things that you share uh, and the things that you post. Uh, they they right. do come up very easily in searches. Uh, and even in, in that Career Pathways Guidebook that I mentioned, we do have some great examples of things that you can, questions you can ask to say, okay, is, is this what I should be doing? How, how can I do this? But I will say this, it's a great way to network and to get connected with people too. So think of using it as a tool as well. Okay. Well, listeners, you heard it here. Be careful with those beach photos and, and other pictures where you might be concerned about what you're going to look like in a few years if people take, take a look at those. So that is all the time we have for our show today. And let me thank our guests, Rafael Tapia, Dr. Corey Still, and David Bledsoe for tips, insights, and resources for workplace success. Join us again live tomorrow when we hear about the Pacific Island nation of Samoa. This month, they are marking 60 years of independence after some 300 years of colonial rule by other nations. We'll hear their path to self-governance and identity restoration tomorrow on Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Thanks for listening. Support by the Facundo Valdez School of Social Work at Highlands University, now offering the opportunity to earn a culturally relevant, clinical, Master of Social Work degree without leaving your own community. This online MSW degree focuses on a small, supportive model with a clinical concentration. Students in rural areas, tribal communities, and or who live far from campus are given preference. Application can be made in three easy steps. More info and application at online.nmhu.edu. Hey, first baby, don't know where to start? CMS programs cover prenatal services. Enroll today. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. 
A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Elakwa. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico, by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a Native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.